And now it's time for the Fiasco Family Movie Night. Hello, and welcome to episode 58A of Fiasco Family Movie Night. I'm Tim Leonard. I'm Sean Frost. And joining us tonight is the author of Fantastic Land and the Pack, as well as one of the members of the Atomic Weight of Cheese, our former sibling podcast on our former podcast network. Welcome to the show, Mike Bakoven. So this is uh, the episode A. Is this a two-parter? Because I got material. <laughs> uh, it is. It's the second part. Okay. <laughs> Am I the tail end of fascism week, or how is it? <laughs> uh, we're we're trying something new-ish, where for our guest appearances, we're not doing like a full episode with guest. We did ah. the full episode. Now we're doing the episode with guest. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Oh, God, we... I hope so. <laughs> cool, cool. The basic thing is that it's much more freeform, and we just talk. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can do that. I, was about I, to say, I, I literally have a one-sentence note for this episode. Oh, I wish this were visual. I would hold up my pages of notes because they look like, <laughs> they look like Charlie Day in that meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Hold them so, closer to the mic. Maybe the audience can see them. <laughs> Someday I want to see your yarn board about this movie. <laughs> the the, uh, the big center square with the circle and the yarns jut jutting from it is the uh, is the number one hundred and five million dollars, which is how much this movie cost to make. This movie cost one hundred and five million dollars and there'll never be another movie like it ever. <laughs> it's like if Streets of Fire cost one hundred and five million dollars. That's exactly right <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's my that's my unifying principle is the reason this movie is special the me reason this movie is an all-timer the reason this movie will never happen again is that it cost 105 million dollars to make and no one was paying attention <laughs> so it's like if the spook who sat by the door cost 105 <laughs> million dollars i think so <laughs> You want to you want to hear a quote from Paul Verhoeven? Yeah, yes, please. Do so I. after after most of the money was spent, this is from the Guardian because they did an oral history a while back. Uh, after the money was spent and the uh, uh, the motion picture company took a look at what had what they had bought for one hundred and five million dollars. Uh, uh, Paul Verhoeven's quote is, there was so much regime change at Columbia Pictures at the time that we slipped through the net. When the executives finally saw it, they said, you've put a Nazi flag in our movie. And I said, no, no, it's completely different colors. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, I want to, to find who that executive is and just pick their brain for a day. It's like, so w how did you feel? Was it a sinking feeling or was it was it panic? Did you think there was too much gore and not enough nudity? 
<laughs> did you realize that basically what you had bought for your $105 million was a stoned sophomore year discussion about the glories of fascism? Is that what you thought you were buying? You know? <laughs> Did you realize that 21 years later, the CGI effects honestly are going to hold up incredibly well? Yeah. Okay. So if we're just riffing, I'm, I'm going to just start going on as to why I think this, this movie is amazing. Aside from, you know, the fact that it, it, it the $105 million price tag. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that this might be Paul Verhoeven's most assured direction of any film that he's done. Really? Okay. I think I think the the action sequences hold up with like other things of the you know because we're what four years out of uh, Jurassic Park right when this movie came out in ninety seven was it mm-hmm. yes and I think that you could put the main bug fight with uh, I, I forget the name of the base it's not the Mormon base but the other one with Quite the bathroom drop yeah yeah uh, no no not the first one the the second one Planet where uh, Planet yeah. T. P. Planet P, right. Uh, the the man with H- eight pages of notes does not know which battle he's talking about. <laughs> I don't. Uh, um, Fed that I, brings you live to the scene now. Yeah, I think you could put that scene up against uh, the T-Rex attack in Jurassic Park, honestly. I think it is just a monument of 90s bloated action cinema done just in, in just huge, giant, paintbrush strokes and just done in a, an amazing way. It holds up so well, even to this day. Yeah. I was really surprised yeah. Oh, yeah. rewatching it. Um, just how well done it was in a lot of respects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to hear another? Everything that goes into the hopper is approved of by both of us before <laughs> it goes into the hopper. So, so did you not like that? Are you not on board that this is this is just a thoroughly unique, moderately brilliant movie, Sean? Um, if you remove, if you strike the word brilliant, I think I'm on board. <laughs> I I enjoy it a great deal. I'm just very confused as to. How much of it was a, a a complete accident of circumstances uh, and the right people thinking the right things together at the right time, and how much was was uh, ability? Um. Interesting. Okay, so to answer that question, because I had I always had that same question because you can ju- enjoy it on the surface level, like okay, I'm a, a you know I'm a 17 when I saw it or whatever it was, and it's like oh yeah, giant bugs and gore and boobs, and it's like yeah, this is great, right? Okay, but <laughs> then that is definitely one level in which you could enjoy the film, and then you get into filmmaking. You know, I don't have a uh, a degree from Eastern Midwestern University or wherever it is. <laughs> Sean, don't give him the coral effect for that one. You're not the boss of me, Tim. (laughs) No, but it's my movie. But you can enjoy it on a technical level, is my point. And then you then you get into the stoned sophomore sophomore year of college sort of discussion, which is okay. So he's glorifying fascism to what end, right? Yeah, because there there is a keen Scandinavian intellect behind this film, and uh, Paul Verhoeven. If, have you ever dove into uh, aside from his his big you know RoboCop Total Recall sort of phase? He is a, a very interesting dude. He um, 
he lived in The Hague during World War II, and some of his earliest memories were uh, of being bombed. So he comes at it from a, you know, I don't think a pro-fascist standpoint. Now, I'm not inside the guy's head, but it seems as if you were bombed by the Nazis and living in The Hague, maybe... You know, maybe uh, uh, you're not pro-fascist. I could be wrong. There's been some debate about that over the years. But after he left Hollywood, after Showgirls drum- rightfully drummed him out of Hollywood, <laughs> he he went and got a degree in math. He joined something called the uh, – I'll see if I can find it here. Is it the Jesuit Seminar? Something yeah, the like Jesuit that? Seminar, which also has uh, – Oh, they called it like the Jesus, the Jesus seminar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Part of the Jesuit seminar, which is like this big thing, made a movie and wrote a book about Jesus Christ. I mean, what you're dealing with is not a, you're not dealing with Michael Bay is my point, right? (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. So he's doing this on purpose. And I'm going to read one more quote from Paul Verhoeven, which is, uh, I don't know whether or not the actors realized dot, dot, dot. We never discussed it. I thought Neil Patrick Harris arriving on the set in an SS uniform might clear it up. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's my one sentence note here. Mention the uniforms. Because I think uh, we didn't manage to on the main episode. But yeah, I mean, it's it's Hugo Boss field gray trench coats and lapels for everybody. Uh, I mean, come on. Yeah. they They are very much... Uh, it is very much fascism on display in there. There's the scene where the the sky marshal who fucked up and now there's, you know, 300,000 mm-hmm. infantry dead. He steps down and a brand new sky marshal steps up and she's she's shorter. She's heavier. She's African-American and she's wearing exactly the same uniform standing behind the podium in exactly the same way. It's a wonderful meet the new boss, remarkably similar to the old boss moment. (laughs) And it's a visual joke. It is. It is a visual joke. And the thing of it is, it's like that. I don't want to say confused me, but that muddied the waters for a long time because this future that they're showing seems to be pretty great in many respects. There doesn't seem to be poverty. There doesn't seem to be racism or inequality. Everything seems to be working out really well, except for the fact that this is the end of fascism. You know, the, yes. that basically the, the constant war and uh, uh, just the way that that's reinforced throughout the movie. And I'm sure you got into this in the main episode is just fantastic. Just the, the constant throwbacks to uh, uh, why we fight or, you know, uh, many of the other, um, you know, uh, the other pro-Nazi and anti-Nazi propaganda from the, uh, from the World War II timeframe. But yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Triumph of the will. That's what I'm trying to say. Triumph of the will. It is very confusing. Um, Like there are overt signs for sure, but then there are things like, you know, it's like, okay, the leads of this South American uh, cast are all <laughs> Aryan. And yep, yep. that's uh, okay, on so purpose. Let, let me ask Mike a question just for a sec. Can you think of a way that an Aryan white supremacist fascist culture might have filled Buenos Aires with white faces <laughs> and you don't see any brown faces in there? Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Well, okay. And then let's just, it it continues to be confusing though, because there are, 
it, it is a fairly diverse cast when you get down into the ranks, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there there are a number of different, uh, uh, you know, Jujumi, the the famous, <laughs> the famous Shujumi, Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of lot of uh, colored faces in there, but yeah. Um, colonization would be the the short answer yeah oh but colonization wasn't the answer i no, was gen- shooting for genocide yeah, yeah yes yeah. yeah just at or it could just be that it's the the hollywood of this fascist universe hollywood's very white supremacist in a lot of ways i mm-hmm. uh, i mean even in just cartoons it's it's white people everywhere they uh Harry Shearer apparently stopped doing the voice of Dr. Hibbert on the Simpsons after something like what, 31 years. They were like, Hey, what if we didn't have a white guy doing the voice of the black character now? Almost as if we're evolving. (laughs) Almost as if some of us are changing our minds about some things. And that's one of those things where the show's just been on so long that you can see changes. Like it it doesn't seem right to me if they have tablets and smartphones on The Simpsons because I remember it from thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Did Did you ever hear Harry Shearer? He He said something very smart about that. While we're off on a Simpsons tangent about uh, his pay for The Simpsons, and that he uh, someone asked him, "Okay, you're making this obscene amount of money. Why is that not enough?" And he said, "It is." Both true that I am obscenely, obscenely overpaid for what I do, and I am not making enough for what I am producing. And I thought that was a really interesting way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Fox has made, you know, Mm -hmm. national, gross national product levels of money off of that beast after the, it's, I would honestly think it might be more profitable than uh, Star Trek at this point. Just in like a return on investment. Oh, absolutely! Well, it's got to be well, cheap. I'm, yeah, <gasps> yeah. I'm I'm currently uh, about two thirds of the way through Star Trek Discovery, so yeah, I think that's pretty pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. At least, it... why would you make a show where the initials were STD? <laughs> <laughs> well, they wow. at one point they go jogging on the ship, which is its own thing, and they're wearing shirts that say disco, and I thought that was kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it says very on the back. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So. (laughs) Avenging Godfather. (laughs) (laughs) So in in regards to the whiteness of of Buenos Aires, um, I had an initial thought, which was, uh, I mean, beyond the 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 obvious Nazis took over uh, (laughs) the area. (laughs) Uh, which was that it could be just a a fact of well Hollywood made him you know do that. I'm really intrigued in how that plays with Tim's theory from the main episode that because of the commercial interjections and because of the extreme yeah kind of feeling mm-hmm. to the movie despite being filled with horrors and everything like it feels like it's being it is the fascist society glossing over the awfulness of all of this oh yes with a with its own in situ movie and tim brought that up before and i'm wondering in the context of that it kind of would make sense that no matter what uh johnny rico really looked like yeah here's he's this strapping uh yeah. blonde he's a boy six foot three blonde <laughs> blue-eyed yes that is Hard, a fantastic theory. norwegian stock yeah yeah 
uh, when Audie Murphy started making war movies, they actually took some of the stuff out that he actually did because they didn't think audiences would buy it. (laughs) And maybe it's sort of that kind of thing here. Like Johnny Rico could have been five foot five and pudgy and brown. And so they needed, you know, he was probably Juan Rico and now he's Johnny Rico. Yeah. Well, now you're thinking about... Okay, let's get even a layer deeper in the meta here. Okay, so yeah, that that I think it's a very accurate theory that this movie is told by fascists with a few notable exceptions. Okay, and that that's like the first drop on Clandathu where all the all the rah rah music cuts out and all of a sudden it's a gore fest and the bodies are piling up, right? For <laughs> right, some but, reason but fascism requires you to be stabbed in the back so you can avenge it. That's a good Fascism point. That's an excellent point. requires something, you know, we lost World War One because those yeah. shadowy manipulators led us into losing it rather than, yeah, we picked a fight and we got our asses kicked. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point. But then go back and, and like peel the meta onion a bit. And it's like Paul Verhoeven cast soap opera actors on purpose. He wasn't casting good actors. He didn't want actors who were going to come in and be fantastic in whatever role he gave them. He wanted the best looking people because of or in spite of their abilities for just that reason, because it's the fascist telling the story. I think that's a very right. solid theory. And it's sort of, you know, for the the first, I don't know, 25, 35 minutes of the movie, it's basically an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. Totally. I am football guy, but other football guy likes my girl and I don't like that. Yeah. And then we're getting into people getting dismembered by alien monsters. Yeah, 20 minutes of it is the $105 million version of Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Complete with crane shots and diamond hard white lighting. And yeah, just every, yeah. (laughs) And I'm sorry. There's another football, the football girl likes me, but I like pretty girl more than football girl, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And even that is infused with such over everything in this movie is just huge. Right. I mean, that's the whole point or one of the whole points. And like, even that part was just so huge that I don't think the reason this wasn't a huge hit with audiences is because I, I think they can tell when someone's making fun of them, (laughs) at least to a degree. Probably. Yeah. And, and if I was a fan of Beverly Hills, 90210 and watched that, I would get the distinct impression that someone was taking the piss. Yeah. I what I truly want to know, and I've read several articles on this. I've read that same oral history that you did. Yeah. Uh, I want to know how Rue McClanahan wound up being the blind biology teacher during the bug. Right. I want uh, I want to know the answer to that and how she is like in my in my mind, she that scene is one of two scenes that's like the Rosetta Stone of the entire film. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, because when she's talking about it, she's just like, it has no, the bugs have no ego. They have no fear of death. They are the perfect member of society. That's what she says. Yeah, I'm like, right. yeah, there you go. It's, it's like in the book where people, you know, on page characters say the bugs have perfected a type of communism where it's like, <laughs> OK, well, the the space bugs that want to kill us all are the commies. Like, it's yeah. not even subtext. It's the fucking text. <laughs> it's the text. And the other thing, and I, I hate to go here because 
I, I am sure I'm not coming across as the most intellectual fellow, but she is saying the point of the movie and talking about this communism, fascism, you know, moderate text, possible subtext, while they're pulling bug guts out and the sound is so gooey that it would rival most of Game of Thrones. I mean, it is just yeah. the greatest cross-section of this is gross and gooey and and appealing to like the part of me that loved Garbage Pail Kids when I was nine <laughs> years old or eight years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. The sophomore stoner conversations where you're talking about the nature of fascism and like smashing those two things together. I'm like, I had no idea these would taste so great together, but um, 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 um. so have you seen the remake of The Blob? Yes, I have. I call that an enthusiastically disgusting movie. It is. I agree. And this, that little bit of the bug dissection with the blind and. You know, there's so many maimed veterans and they're given a place in society to to basically turn young proto jarheads into the future maimed veterans of tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that that enthusiastically nasty scene where it's slime covered organs coming out of a giant bug is I mean, that that is the like the 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 gleeful 13 year old in all of us going, ha! That's awful. And I'm laughing even harder. And so let's pretend I'm interviewing that executive and I say, so (laughs) during that scene, were you focused on the gooey guts or did you actually pay attention to what was being said at that point? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And let it not, not, uh, you know, pass underscored that the teacher who is saying this is blind. <laughs> Ooh, that is an excellent point. You're right. Huh. You're Are you right. saying there might have been some subtext? You, you know, if we're if we're if we're going with the uh, you know stoner reading here, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's totally well, there. That, okay, I I want to to talk about another movie just for a sec. Have you guys seen The Big Short? Oh yeah, nope. yeah. The uh, the Adam McKay film about the uh, 2008 financial crisis. Right. So there's a point where they go to talk to one of the financial like bond writers and mm-hmm. she's wearing celluloid glasses to keep the light out because she's got drops in her eyes. So yeah. like she, her character is literally self blinding while talking to them about how important it is to get the ratings right. <laughs> and, and I asked when, when I saw that with a couple friends and we were talking about it afterward, I was like, did anyone else notice this? And I got that look from the, Oh God, he's going to mention Eastern Michigan university's <laughs> film study degree again. And, and you know what, dear reader, I do. <laughs> but but can, can, some of okay. that stuff is so audacious and so open yep. that you can miss it because it's right in front of you. Like you're telling me about all this, this stuff about the movie, about this forest. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Look at all these trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. It's right there. Yeah. And can, I'm going to go off on just a, a second tangent for a second. I also read the book, The Big Short, and they left my exact my favorite scene out of the film, oh. which is the scene where one guy calls another guy and says, uh, good morning. You owe me three billion dollars. And the guy goes, no, I don't. That's impossible. And the guy kind of says, here, let me send you an email and sends him an email that says you owe me three billion dollars. And sure enough, he owes him three billion billion dollars it's the most oh it's an amazing scene in michael lewis's book that didn't make the movie but it's just one of those things that like will stick with me until i die 
that somebody screwed up that bad. That anyway, badly. Yeah. There, I, I remember reading an article. There was a guy who tried to do like commodities and futures trading. And he didn't realize that the type of trade he was doing meant that a barge full of coal was going to show up and somebody would say, <laughs> where do you want this coal that you bought the futures on and you now own? Or <laughs> <laughs> it was like some hideous number, like several thousand tons of coal that he now owned and had to sell. That's fantastic. Whoops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job, Steve Dave. <laughs> yep. I didn't screw up that bad, yeah. <laughs> oh, give it time. I believe in you. I'll get there. <laughs> my my big thesis about the movie is that it is an artifact of the society that is fighting the bug war. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the equivalent of a World War II movie or Top Gun in a society that has the Terran mobile infantry because the science of explaining they threw a big rock at us from over here on the other <laughs> side of the galaxy doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. So uh-uh. goddamn yeah. stupid. <laughs> well, the, the, yeah. one, the one bit of resistance in that entire movie is the one guy, uh, the reporter, when he's, he's talking about the mobile infantry and says something along the lines of, some people say a live or let live philosophy might be best. And Johnny Rico grabs the camera, shoves his face in it and says, I say kill them all. I'm from Buenos Aires yeah. and they all need to die. Well, that's the kind of thing where it, it's like have uh, – Back when Sean Hannity had a Democrat on his show whose job it was to keep losing arguments. Alan Combs, who is now dead. <laughs> oh, is he? He is. Alan Combs huh. died like five, six years ago. Wow. Huh. Well, that's how irrelevant he was. I All I knew was, they, was that Fox <laughs> News no longer trusted their viewers enough to hear an opposing view even if that view was going to be defeated. He was basically the like Paul Zumdorf, the jobber wrestler <laughs> whose job it is to get the shit beat out of him so somebody else looks good so they don't use all their name talent up at the same time. Yeah, he was the Washington Capitals to the Harlem Globetrotters in that particular scenario. He was indeed. He was he was the Arachnos goons to my City <laughs> of Villains character. Well, anyway, that the entire point that the some say a live and let live policy was even raised was so the designated hero could say no that's dumb and if you think that's what we should do you suck yep while looking directly at the audience yeah yeah okay Uh, it's it's like the guy going a brain a bug that thinks i think that's offensive and he looks like a complete he does he's wearing a bow tie yeah the point to him saying that is so you can go what a fucking (laughs) of course there's brain bugs like the aesthetics of it are not just look at all the pretty people happy to go to war it's also look at all the lessers and and inferiors that think differently well, and th- that goes back to the whole idea of at the very beginning of uh, earning citizenship, right? That yes. the veteran is the 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 perfect Nazi man. You know, back when mm-hmm. when uh, th- that was one one of the things the Third Reich was was uh, proselytizing about. But the idea that you earn your place in society, and that those who have been to war are uniquely suited to lead everybody else. I mean, that's yes. straight out of the Third and Reich. And the book. Oh yeah, and and when uh... and the book. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Are we going to touch on the fact that it's not a very good book? <laughs> it's it. It won the Hugo. Yeah. But that, you know, don't hold that against it. Uh, so did stand on Zanzibar. If you're going to read one Hugo winning novel and you have a choice between those two, uh, read stand on Zanzibar. But 
which is about the social pressures of overcrowding on a limited biosphere that can only support so many of us safely. Totally irrelevant. I don't think there's any point in me reading no. that. Yeah, yeah I, I, you'd hate it. <laughs> so also don't read The Sheep Look Up, which is about the last year of Earth's biosphere being able to sustain life. And how, and how political ineffectiveness and corporate greed means that it's just the last year that Earth's biosphere is capable of sustaining life. Hmm. You know, I, I, uh, I've authored a few <laughs> books, and sometimes you really have to pull yourself to the word processor and say, okay, I'm going to pound out some words right now. Yeah. I'm not sure if that were my topic that I would be able to crawl, you know, hand over, you know, hand over fist yeah. to the computer and like, okay, what? <laughs> oh man, it's just, it's depressing to think about. Yeah, no, but, but you know, it's here an we are. Astonishing book. It is one of my absolute absolute favorites. It is the book that I made a bookmark for, which was uh, Tommy Wiseau holding a football with the caption, "Oh hi, bookmark." <laughs> just oh, to God. lighten things up. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I just I liked that book so much. I wanted it to have a special bookmark, and actually. <laughs> At, at some Tommy point, I'm probably going to make a couple dozen of those suckers and hand them out to people. Just like, here, I want you to have this. So this is – I'm honestly interested in your take on this because I was thinking about this. And if I, I thought Sean might be coming at me saying, no, this movie is dumb. You're dumb for liking it like my wife has done no, no, for 20-some no, no, no. years. It is dumb, <laughs> but you're not dumb for liking it. <laughs> okay. And – the argument that has resonated most about is that this is a dumb movie and you're dumb for liking it is that Paul Verhoeven's uh, next film, if I'm not mistaken, after this was yes. Showgirls. OK. Mm -hmm. So if if I had a time machine, I've said this many times, if I had a time machine, one of the things I would do is go back and stop. Paul Verhoeven from meeting, uh, uh, why can't I think of his name? The guy who wrote Showgirls, Joe yep. Esterhouse, right? Okay. Just stop him from doing that because at one point there was a fork in the road and Paul Verhoeven took the one that his penis pointed him toward, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah, really the only it's... explanation because I am not of the opinion that Showgirls is a hidden classic. I'm of the opinion that it it took itself too seriously to be camp and that it is just a monumentally bad movie just in, in – it, with the exception of the performances of Gina Gershon and Agent Smith from uh, or Agent uh, Cooper yeah. from uh, Twin Peaks, that it is just a worthless, worthless endeavor and and just should be thrown into the bottom of the ocean and never thought of again. And from the person Don't who hold back, Mike, the person who so adeptly took so much and jammed it into Starship Troopers and and got it past the the studio and the fact that this miracle of a movie exists would then turn around and make something so worthless is a very good argument as to why this movie's stupid and you're stupid for liking it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I haven't that been able like to reconcile it and I'm wondering and your you're thoughts. Dumb if, and you suck I, I, if you here's like where, it. Yeah. Here's where I yeah. get into the maybe it was an accident. Because mm -hmm. I I think that Paul Verhoeven is a is a good director, uh, and that if he has the right material and understands it, he can do great things like RoboCop, Total Recall. Uh, I, I'll, I'll go yeah, back. I, to Total I Recall. liked Total Recall. I haven't seen it in years, so I won't I won't crap on it. Mm -hmm. Starship Troopers, I think, is more of a near miss for me. But, uh, you know, I definitely, on rewatching it, 
discovered okay it is it is way better than i thought and there there is definitely at least some understanding that you know we're 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 turning it up to 11 to lampoon some things right but it's interesting when you look at at things like you know th- this was actually uh you know Ed Newmeyer who wrote this was one of the two writers of of RoboCop and you're like oh okay yeah this guy this guy might hmm. have it going on uh yeah. then you look at the fact that he wrote the next two movies in the series <sighs> and you look at the fact that uh like the other thing he and the other co-writer of of uh robocop are known for are like anaconda movies and it's like well yeah. okay maybe now- they had a good idea <laughs> as as someone who has dabbled in screenplay and making things that might be it could be their fault could completely mm-hmm. be their fault or they could have been out of money <laughs> and yeah. needed, needed something that would sell and wrote the dumbest thing they could think of and we'll yeah. never know the answer is the thing it's like we'll just never know we all and it's you know that's where i'm i'm thinking it's 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 sort of the the magic of synthesis right like there's yeah, i think there's, you're right their mentalities and approaches with Verhoeven's blended just right to produce to produce to something that passes as really entertaining satirical work. Yeah. And having accidentally found that a few times and found that chemistry, as well as made brilliant stuff long before all of this. Like Flesh and Blood is mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh medieval movies. Oh hmm. yeah. And and I think you can draw a line from the completely deglamorized medieval life in Flesh and Blood to the and here are the bodies stretching out to the horizon, leaking gore yeah. onto the sand shots but after the, the battle. But going from that yeah. and then thinking, well, okay, I've got I've got the touch, clearly. And seeing yeah. Joe Estershaus's toilet paper scripts <sighs> and going, well, I can I can amplify and lampoon this and it will be brilliant satire like the other stuff. Like, I don't know, man. You know, I don't think the text supports that. <laughs> I appreciate the argument, but. I don't know, man. It's like I've seen that movie, I think, a total of maybe three times in my life. And each time I've tried to go in with an open mind thinking, surely they knew what they were doing. And I just don't get that. I think from from the the direction and stuff, I kind of think that Verhoeven thought it was going to be funny. I can kind (laughs) of twist my brain to see that. I see from the script. They're hot titties. Um, yeah. 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 That's exactly what I see from it. And, and it's not even smart enough to know yeah. that it's camp is the thing that, that always struck me about it is if you had turned it just two notches, one direction, it would have been Rocky Horror Picture Show and it would have been great. Yep. But they didn't. They took them. They were too in love with themselves yeah. to do that. And it did not work. So, I mean, that's that's where I come yeah, to my indeed. real questions of, of, of Starship Troopers. I don't question that it plays well as satire or that there aren't satirical 
bits in it. I just question, like, did they really fully understand? Or <laughs> so in so in some ways, this is an argument against the auteur yes. theory. Yes, it is. <laughs> I. Well, no, nothing about the auteur theory says they have to be good at it. I mean, Ed Wood is an auteur. Just that you have a, just that you have a strong authorial voice. Well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I mean, we'd all like it if auteur theory meant uh, and they were good at it, but. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's yeah. Well, first off, you know, with the writers, I've got a kid starting college in six weeks or six months. So if someone wants to take Fantastic Land and turn it into a Disney Channel musical, I'm totally down with that. Oh, absolutely. At this point in the game. I don't fault anyone for taking a paying gig. But Showgirls, no one was asking for it. No one wanted this. This was their (laughs) groundbreaking thing that they thought was going to be. You know, thought was going to be a big deal, and it was just so hung and bad. <laughs> there are people where you can tell that they're they're going at right angles to the material, or that they understand how ridiculous it all is. Well, and then there's yeah. some people where where you can tell they absolutely have no idea how ridiculous it is. And there's that stuff in that crosshatched zone where where you're wondering, wait a sec, is it? Is it intentionally right. this or is it accidentally this? And and I think you could make a case for either one with some of Starship Troopers. I don't know. See, and that's just the thing. And, and that's why that argument is so hard to parry that he then went and did Showgirls is that right. in reading that oral history and maybe there's some revisionist history there, but it seems as if he was the intellectual imp slipping things past he didn't discuss the nazi outfits with neil patrick harris and neil patrick harris didn't ask you know i mean it's one of those things where it just it seems as if he was so in control of that message and what he was trying to do and his background would reflect that and all these sorts of things and then he went to showgirls and did not know what kind of movie he made and yeah it's it's really really hard to reconcile i still land on the fact that i think starship troopers he knew exactly what he was doing and that's why it's such a miracle (laughs) of a movie yeah and and satire like satire of fascism and motion pictures and war is different from satire of like we're going to make a big nudie movie so that people will go see it and (laughs) and what's the next step i don't know we're just putting breasts all over the place there is something to that right in that a lot of his big successes were not rooted in today's world. Like they may have references yes. to mm, it. They point. may extrapolate, it. but when you think of Verhoeven's Uber, which I dare anyone to say five times back fast and correctly. Verhoeven's Uber. Verhoeven's Uber. Verhoeven's Uber. Verhoeven's Uber. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then Johnny Rico steps out of my mirror and says, <laughs> Do you want to know more? But like when you when you think about his work and the, the things you think about are the more fantastical ones. The things that stand out as being yes. in, you know, entertaining at least you know are are the things yeah. in the future oh, yeah. or the past hmm. and maybe he needed that he needed that distance so that he could say oh well it's really about this as well you can't say i set this movie today but it's also about today 
Yeah, I, I don't know, honestly, if I pine for his take on the Crusades starring Arnold Schwarzenegger or not. I'd uh, watch it. I'd watch it, but I don't know if it would be any good, you know, because <laughs> it seems... I'd watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I would too, but you know what kinds of things Bad I Arnold watch. <laughs> Oh, jeez, yeah. man. What's coming out of the happy next? I don't even want to think about it. Bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> we briefly in the main episode, I think, touched on the fact that, you know, it was kind of neat that, you know, it's it's the, it's this big, gaudy, uh, superficial kind of movie uh, at least on the surface, and uh, and yet you have these things like Jake Busey playing uh, a violin, <laughs> which he learned to play, and then like after the recording, I was I was talking to Wendy because um, we live together, and <laughs> the cats don't talk back, <laughs> and I was I was talking to her about that, and she said. Yeah, and he pl- and what did he play? He played Dixie. Hey, I mentioned that in the episode. Oh, that did you say that in excellent. the episode? I did. Don't you edit it out? <laughs> played Dixie. So it's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That had never occurred to me. <laughs> So I've watched this movie 20 times. That never occurred to me. <laughs> yeah. The anthem of, of white supremacy, the literal anthem of white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as if Paul Verhoeven knew what he was doing. And then he went and made showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody catches lightning in a jar every time. Yes, you've, but... sat, you've sat near me at B-Fest. I've said, I've said and done stuff that was so funny people couldn't breathe from laughing. And then I've said and done a bunch of stuff that just goes out there and eats shit. Yes, and movie making is a big, complicated process that no one person is in control of. But you think if someone could walk down the street once that they wouldn't then walk and stick their head into a car, you know, under a car's tires <laughs> and beg for them to run it over the next time, you know? But dirty too. Yeah. However, yeah. here we are. Yeah. It, there's so many things uh, that aren't under people's control when they're doing this stuff. That's true. You know, bad weather can ruin a movie They that they needed, you know, clear skies on a day and they didn't get it. Uh, I can remember reading about making uh, Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers first movie. Yeah. And they needed rain on a windshield for the opening credits. And then it just turned out it wasn't raining anywhere within about 40 miles of where they had the car and the camera. So you <laughs> just, you hope for the best. You hope for a rainy day. You don't yep. get one. You have to get another rainy day. And they only had, you know, time and money are the elements that all films are made of. And they're both finite. Yep. That is, that is true. And yet on the other hand, and not to not what you're saying is absolutely correct, but nobody, nobody said make showgirls. Right. Nobody said go do this thing. They they willed it into being with the force of their the will that they had built up. I mean, I'm sure Verhoeven went to people and said, "I directed Basic Instinct for the studio. Give me the money." And they're like, "Yeah, you know." I don't <laughs> well, it, it's it's the hot hand fallacy in mm-hmm. sports. Yeah, that it, is. it is. If somebody makes a bunch of shots, you think they're going to make another one, but events are not dependent on each other 
Yep, that's right. You, you, there is nothing that prevents a roulette wheel from from doing, you know, number 12, number 12, number 12, number 12, over and over and over. It's random. Yep. And that's the meaning of random. You you can have you can have classics on your resume, classic, 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 all timer, all timer, all timer, and then faceplant. Like 1941 is on Steven Spielberg's resume, and that's generally considered a disappointment during one of the hottest hottest of hot streaks that anyone's ever made in Hollywood. I would have gone with Hook, but I take your point. Hook also <laughs> is one of those where it's like, and not so much. I've, I've seen a Ready Player One, and uh, also not so much. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a movie where they don't appear to have thought through anything before they made it and then made it. Yeah. Uh, like, just the, the inconsistencies of what the characters and setting even are cripple that movie from about three minutes in mm-hmm. and then there's also that poster where the guy's got a leg that's like 11 feet long because <laughs> i the, love that poster oh that poster lets that. you know so exactly what you're in for for that movie <laughs> that poster is completely accurate for ready player one <laughs> one one 11 foot leg i, I yeah. always thought one it would be fun foot to leg, one two and a half foot leg yeah start walking, this is my son. story clunk, 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 clunk. Custom made for going up that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Sideways. Yeah. It it there are uh John Carpenter had a you know a streak that I don't think I think you could put John Carpenter's winning streak of Dark Star through about Prince of Darkness up against virtually anyone else's hits and misses over a comparable period of time. Yeah. And then you also get you know, some other stuff that's not so great. Memoirs of an Invisible Man and that sort of thing. They, you know, if if you're a director, you like to work. You like to do the jobs. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes you got to take the car payment job as opposed to the, the dream job. Yeah, yeah, but I we, think you're right. We still got Starman out of it. We still got They Live and Big Trouble in Little China out of it, even if we got some other stuff that maybe isn't as brilliant as that. Yep. And I think that's that's all it really comes down to is... Everybody pulled together to try to do the thing, and this is what we got. I Okay, I agree with you with <laughs> one caveat, and that caveat is I would think, and without having a, uh, a degree in film, I don't know for sure, <laughs> but I would think that a director would have a pretty decent control over tone. Or maybe that's the the product of a of a uh, editor, and tone is where Showgirls goes to die. Yeah, I true. think. And yeah. it seemed as someone who basically hit a bullseye three times in a row with Starship Troopers, and then threw you know the dart at the bartender the next time. It just <laughs> will, will will remain one of those things that. I could talk to death and will never reconcile in my head. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. I think what it really is, is they had a whole bunch of pre-production meetings and decided a star is born with tits is what we're doing here. (laughs) I just want to have one more look at you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Was there, was that caught up in one of those uh, writer's strikes and they just had to shoot what they had? Possibly. The script they had. and I think part of it might just be like they tried to do a, a gunslinger movie 
from Stephen King's, you know, big giant universe spanning. Oh, that was so bad. But they hired Akiva Goldsman to write it. Yeah, never do that. There are some Never. points, but it might just be once Joe Esterhaz was in front uh-huh. of his typewriter yeah. that it was never going to be any good. Once when you have that blueprint, that's how you build the house. Yeah, I suppose you're if, right. But if I drew your blueprint, your house is going to fall over. <laughs> I'm not an architect. I well, don't know how to do that. But I, I, I do agree with the basic premise, though, that with the tools that he had and Joe Esterhaz is a tool. <laughs> oh my god that guy um like pinball crown pinball crown i I, th- <laughs> I think some of the casting could have worked and and and, and some well, of it gina gershon work. is a beast in that movie i love her in that movie yeah she's gina great gershon, um, she knows what she's she knows what she's in kyle mclaughlin to an extent knows what he's in well, and if it wasn't for those two performances i would like? have shut the movie off yeah <laughs> Mike, do you know what you're reminding me of when you say some of the people in this movie knew exactly what was going on and a couple didn't? Huh. Have you heard the good news about Congo? <laughs> Ernie Hudson, man. God bless yeah. Ernie Hudson and Congo. Joey Pantoliano going, there, wasn't that easier than going through customs? <laughs> I uh, I saw Bruce Campbell speak once and someone asked him why he was in Congo. And he said, seen Jurassic Park? The guy goes, yeah. He goes, producer, Jurassic Park is making a movie. You want to be in it? And the guy goes, yeah. He goes, congratulations. You just made Congo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think while you're making it, and, and I think, yeah, the final cut after everything is edited together, that's when you have a movie, when you have the effects, when you have the score, yeah, yeah. when you have the footage color corrected, when you have all of that that's when you have the final product when you're just wearing, you know, an 80 pound body armor thing <laughs> in the desert, running around with firing blanks as the director goes giant bug over there. <laughs> and that's, so, so that's what I'm hearing, where it's what going. I'm hearing is that the fact that starship troopers is what it is, is even more of a miracle than I originally thought. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you believe in auteur theory, then you are forced to accept the fact that sometimes you can catch lightning in a jar in your bare hands, and sometimes you just get hit by lightning. Well, there's. <laughs> have, have you seen the Witcher series? Uh, I watched uh, I the first couple it. episodes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a bit where the uh, young witches are literally capturing lightning in a bottle huh. uh, as a trial, and. It goes about as well as you'd expect for a lot of them, which is life-altering injury, um, where, you know, it's like, if you don't do it, there are repercussions. Yeah. <laughs> um, it either works or all you got is some burnt nerve endings. Yes. Uh, well, in that case, I guess what I'd, I'd really like to ask is, Mike, do you remember the last thing we had we had you and your friends on to talk about? Roar! Roar! (laughs) I do! Okay, yeah, and you want to talk about, you know, (laughs) did you know what you had at the time? How was was this ever going to work out? Like, we have the platonic example of that. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) There's no arguing that. I mean, just, okay, and and I meant to, when, when you talk about things that I love, those are the two big genres are 
extremely happy accidents like Roar, and then great amounts of talent and money and resources thrown in the pursuit of something deeply stupid. And yes. Star- Starship Troopers could fall into that camp, you know. <laughs> Uh, that's the uh, way what I, I want view you to it. imagine yeah. <laughs> is a, a dump truck full of fifty dollar bills and Paul Verhoeven lighting the pilot light on a flamethrower. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's what you love. Among and other I can things, dig yeah. it. And I can dig it. You uh, have you seen Tammy and the T Rex? Yes, I have seen. I, okay. Yes, I've yeah. seen Tammy and the T Rex. That one's going to be kind of like a hundred yard dash between Sean and and me to see who puts it in the hopper first. But, <laughs> no, it's not. It's going to be you because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, like year good eight. for you, Sean. Stand strong. <laughs> if we get to year eight, at some point you'll be like, oh I'm, God, what else? I'm, I mean, I. I'm throwing in Chud too, so it's not yeah. like I'm. You know. I've been Why? meaning to talk to you about that. I mean, Chud, I can see Chud too. Chud two gets unfairly hated on simply because it should not be called Chud two. <laughs> well, okay, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have often thought that if Terminator 3 could somehow not be a Terminator movie, a lot more people would like it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> In existing uh property, right? Yeah. Yeah. One really great, you know, analog car chase where they're breaking buildings with a construction crane. That I mean, is I a really good that. car chase. Troll yeah. 2 is much more famous than Troll and it has fuck all to do with the original movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wasn't Troll 2 one of those movies where it's like, oh, wait, we have the rights to something? Slap it on the thing, yeah. And so was Chuck (laughs) 2. For that matter, so was Starship Troopers, because it started as a screenplay called Bug Attack on Outpost 9, and uh, reportedly the studio lawyers said, this is really close to Starship Troopers, we should just buy the option on Starship Troopers. I didn't know that. It definitely, it definitely doesn't have much to do with Heinlein. No. no well, not a ton, no. And not in the first honestly, movie. In, in some ways, that's good. and some ways, that's not so great. Yeah. I, I really resented that it didn't have the power armor in it because yep. I wanted to see how they did the power armor. And the way they did it was, you know, Sir not appearing in this picture. We, yeah, we get two <laughs> minutes of power armor in the third movie. Was Instead, it worth the wait? I mean... No, no. Okay yeah, then. Okay, the second Starship Troopers movie because I have seen all three official ones. Right, has a scene in it where uh, a bug is attacking one of those uh, armor or one of those uh, infantry bugs. Right, not the big ones, the the regular with the stripey pattern. Right, yeah. we're attacking um, an outpost, and at one point, it is clear that that the bug that they're using is not CGI, but a puppet. And that someone underneath the crowd that the bug is chasing is moving the puppet up and down. And the reason I know that is because I can see them. Yes. <laughs> and it's awesome because you, you pause it and you go back and it's like, they're not even trying. That guy's just moving a bug up and down with some sticks. Yes. And, and yet yeah. I, 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 okay, let, let, let's compare notes for me. I thought the second movie had some great ideas. Yeah. But on the whole was trying too hard to be serious with a micro budget. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then then the third one just uh, the third act of the third one might be some of the worst 
stuff I've ever seen. I and know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> they go so oh. big. On the, in the uh, end of the third with movie. With no money. With, yeah. Basically, they, they take a cardboard cutout of a big thing and stick it behind the camera. And it's like, oh, here it comes. You yeah. Know? It's like, no. <laughs> well, there you have it. Yeah. It's I, so good. Now you guys are making me want to watch Screamers again. The one with the underground buzzsaw robots. Oh, yeah. I remember that with yeah. Peter Weller. Yeah. Future Cold War. Killer robots. I need to see yeah, that. The one, the one guy keeps saying, get off my back. You're a robot because you keep saying that. Oh, yeah? Well, get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they're they on a planet with radioactive atmosphere, so they have to smoke cigarettes with anti-radiation compounds yep. in it. Yep. Or that to movie quote had the character ideas. who hears about it, you mean we got to put this shit in our lungs to keep shit out of our lungs? <laughs> That movie the has Philip some ideas. The Philip K. Dick experience in one line of dialogue. People. <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah. I remember it's that movie stuff. fondly. It's probably been 25 years, but I remember it fondly. Yeah, it's a good flick. It's enjoyable. <laughs> it's good stuff. Let me thank you again for coming in to the Fiasco family. And oh, my absolute pleasure. Participating in a round robin Three Stooges slap fight <laughs> about authorial intent and film budgets. Yeah, it went places. <laughs> <laughs>